everyone and welcome to episode 8 of The Best You, a coaching podcast. It's Gary here again and thank you very, very much for joining me. I hope you're doing great and investing in whatever work you've committed to to get closer to being the best you. So firstly, I would like to wish everyone a very happy new year. I actually forgot to say, <laughs> I forgot to say that on my first email to my distribution list, or my community, I guess I should say, last week, and that's a big whoops, and I'll, I'll confirm that again on the email accompanying this podcast as well. I hope whatever you did, wherever you did it, with whomever you did it with, you had a brilliant time over the festive period and you managed to make the most of whatever downtime that might have presented itself for you. I certainly did. I had time with my son Leo and we had kind of longer sleeps than normal, spent some quality time basically completely zoning out, honestly, <laughs> and watching some movies and just hanging out together. It was a great time. The weather during the break here was unseasonably warm, so we also got some outside time um, just to stay kind of um, have a bit of fun with that as well but that was basically mostly me going outside and running and him staying inside and scrolling through his phone while I was gone I'm on to you Leo I'm on to you but all in all it was an absolutely brilliant time capped off with us ringing in the new year bells at 5pm Calgary time to celebrate the British New Year we celebrate the British New Year over here in Canada and that gives us an opportunity um, to get out in the afternoon connect with old and some new friends toast 2023 and ring in 2024 all by 5pm so that's a great time and then we get on with the rest of our night and uh, also some of us try our best to, to ring in the Canadian New Year at midnight but that's kind of seven hours later sometimes that's a bit of a stretch so here we are on the first pod of the new year and I'm going to start with a commitment to you You're, you will have in 2024 and beyond two pods per month and two blogs per month on alternating uh, alternating sorry weeks i was i was very sporadic about that in 2023 as i went through some change and some quite significant drains on my time during the year but in my new life one of the main reasons i i decided to go all in with with the coaching and self education offerings was to be able to get a bit more serious about my content creation and distribution as well. And I think I've mentioned before, if I haven't already, that, that podcasting is something that I've been doing now. This is, I'm in my, I guess, fourth calendar year of podcasting um, with with about 160 odd episodes on the, the Rangers front on the team that I support from back home in Scotland. So I am here for the long haul. I know what it takes to be committed and to deliver content when I intend to deliver it. And I I intend to do that and I truly hope that you'll come along with me as we grow together. So in this episode, we're going to work through the, a quick review of the recent blog that, that was published on, on the website, garygillen.com, that's centred on work ethic and exploring whether it could be taught, it can be taught or not. And before all that... Um, I uh, sorry. After that, I will I'll go on to a book review of How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and that book is from 1936. And as I was going through my notes in preparation for recording today, 
there is a lot of information in that. I think if you if you're a regular listener to the pod, you'll you'll remember that I've been reading this book for quite some time, and it took me a while to get through it. Not because it was a difficult read or anything, just you know, like what it's like that it drains on time trying to figure out the best routine as to when to, to to be alert enough to read it, absorb it, highlight the areas that I think are worth mentioning, and move on from there. So I'll get through that as quickly as I can. But before all that, I'll I'll go through what I've been up to and since we since we last chatted and on the on the the podcast here as well so like before I have been continuing with my core passion my whole my whole reason for for switching careers and that's my one-on-one coaching I did mention on the last pod that I I came to a natural uh, conclusion is it kind of natural when it just kind of comes to an end at the end of the calendar year? Or, I don't know. Let's just say that anyway. <laughs> and uh, with some clients in, in this past December, and I'm already getting a wee bit of withdrawal symptoms from not seeing them. I, I don't mind admitting. I have continued uh, my mentoring conversations with colleagues and associates from the business community to to basically pick the brains and and you know share information and ideas between ourselves as to as to what we're doing, how we how we could maybe do things a little bit differently and um, to reap different rewards and such. Continuing with my, my weekly journal that I did mention before, I did take a break over the festive period, an intentional break over the festive period, so that there are two weeks that are missing, but I did get into it last week and, and enjoyed just kind of summarising the previous two weeks as well. And I am continuing to progress through the training for the Project Management Institute's authorised training partner initiative through Mount Royal University. I mentioned before that I should have been finished that and it will be finished this week. I have it scheduled in now and and, and we'll get organised and then if we're connected on LinkedIn you'll hopefully see a shiny badge that, that gets put on my profile after I success, successfully navigate the exam and get the accreditation. So hopefully that will be in the next week or so that, that all that, that admin gets organised as well. I did finalise the 30 day video challenge um, that I'm doing on the mastermind community and I'm now using that as collateral to, to get a wee bit more exposure on LinkedIn as well. I just started this past week there and and you'll you'll get you get to kind of see me in action, so to speak. It's my first real foray into into video um, production or video content production, and I quite enjoyed it, you know, and getting getting some decent traction uh, there. And it's nice just to to, to do something a wee bit different than than stagnant uh, word posts, which is typically what I do. So that's been kind of fun. I am prepping for an immersive workshop in the mastermind community, which comes up this weekend, and and the, the workshop is called Getting the Yes. So it's taking your your content and then just kind of manifesting it into something that that clients would or potential clients would be interested in buying and doing the odd seminar and such on interesting topics kind of mostly driven from LinkedIn um, as well that's that's my kind of go-to social media community there and finally I am back in the classroom it's been it's been quite some time probably about a year and a almost a year and a half since I've formally taught anything in, in the classroom and and I'm now back I've started a, a virtual course uh, called uh, Introduction to Project Management and I'm doing that through Mount Royal University as well so we're on week one of four right now and we had our first um, you know weekly office hours um, session last night and it was it was terrific it was great just to talk about project management to hear where people are at in their journey what their inspiration for 
for getting started in the journey is and and are and and it's been it's been fantastic really really enjoying being back in the classroom again something i want to do a wee bit more of as well in terms of books that i have on the go for right now on more the business front, I've started reading Coaching for Performance by Sir John Whitmore. I'm at the very, very early stages of, of that and, and it looks like it's going to be a fairly quick read and I think it's more kind of practical, you know, this is how you would coach for performance rather than the theory behind it. So hopefully get a wee bit of information from that. And on the on the kind of more personal front, I'm reading Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which is a bit of an amalgam of, of um, you know, decades of journaling that he's done as well very very entertaining and very very well written as well one of those books that I kind of I don't want to put it down when I start it which is uh, which is good it's good and bad because sometimes it can be a bit of a drain on my time as well and continuing to to sample the the, the blinks and the blinkist app as well that gives a wee bit of an abbreviation of certain books that are out there as well so yeah keeping busy keeping very busy actually on my own self-development and my support of of my clients and my community as well so yeah on to the actual content for for this time and just to, to extend the information that was included in blog number nine, which you can find on the website, which is work ethic can it be taught? And and really where it where it came about was, you know, I I'm observing everything that I that I um, experience at, at times, you know, and just observation of of things around me, of people around me, of processes, of organisations, of the traffic, of anything basically. You know, I'm just a bit of a bit of a sea sponge when it comes to, to things like that and and I was focusing on on my son on Leo and and kind of he's he's a he's a terrific student he does really well at school he's very self-motivated he's quite competitive in terms of his marks and such and then and in comparison with other kids that, that he talks about his, his friends his, his classmates and things like that and it just got me to thinking you know where did he get that from? Did he get that from me? I would love to say yes, from me and his mum, of course, is what I mean by that. I'd love to say yes, but I'm not 100% sure if that's how it works or not. And then I ended up including this topic on one of the the 30 day challenge videos that I mentioned a wee while back there and it was video number 13 when we get there. So if you keep an eye on LinkedIn when it gets to day 13, you can, you can listen to that part as well. And and really, when where we started on the blog was like just a question, posing a question of what comes to mind when someone is described to you as having a strong or a positive work ethic, and and just challenging you to truly consider that and think about what it means to you. Is it is it common? Is it universal? Is it circumstantial? Does it depend? You know, and 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 that's the questions that was kind of like the you know, the inspiration to, to get a little bit deeper into this topic and, and kind of try and un explore some ideas and understand, you know, my, my own my own thoughts on that. Uh, we started then with, with looking at what is work ethic in broad terms. It refers to your, your core values, your attitudes and your behaviours that drives your approach to your work. And, and and these, all these things combined helps establish and maintain your your commitment to achieving your goals, a strong work, eth work ethic, is often associated with high levels of productivity, reliability and achievement and probably enjoyment. And then the opposite could be true if you have a weak, inconsistent or non-existent work ethic that would that would you know drain your enjoyment and, and probably make things a little bit more onerous and, and um, maybe dreaded to do as well. So basically work ethic is the, the consistent effort and dedication to put tasks 
even when your motivation wanes um, and, and, you know, our natural talent is or is not present, having the motivation and natural talent is obviously, you know, going to absolutely positively contribute to your work ethic. But if one or both of those are, are absent, it doesn't automatically mean that there will be a negative impact on your work ethic. But I think there will be there will be impacts into the outputs. There will be impacts into the effort. There will be impacts into the overall enjoyment as well. I also talked about the, the normalcy of around having different approaches to, to work ethic in different parts of, of your life. And that you might be a powerhouse, for example, in the workplace and a little bit more relaxed or maybe can I say lazy? I don't know if that's the right word to use, but maybe a bit more relaxed at home or you might... It'd be very much all over garden work or yard work, but despise or, or do a poor job or avoid altogether domestic duties inside the home. And I wonder, like, why do you think that is? And, and how does that reflect on you as you navigate through life? Are you, are, would you be comfortable with that? In fact, were you even aware of of the different types and styles of, of work ethic that you have, depending on what part of your life that you're considering until this point, until we're talking about that. Food for thought. So where does it come from? It comes from your genes. Yes, a wee bit of, a wee bit of science in there again, but your genetics may contribute and most likely do to your to your work ethic traits and, and your behaviours. Your childhood, how you were raised, by whom, the rules that were imposed upon you, the consistency of... of of life, that the culture, the communication norms that, that we that we had will have an influence on your work ethic as as you grow and navigate through life, and certainly, most certainly in your formative years for sure, as as you're under a wee bit more restrictions, as you as you can, if I could say, play by other people's rules, and I think it's likely fair to say at least some of those will have accompanied you into adulthood. So in the blog we talk about how the parent or guardian will use modelling, hopefully of good behaviour to, to influence the, the, the children to inspire and contribute and the, their work ethic or contribute to their work ethic and whatever chores or responsibilities you were given as a child in contribution to the family will also influence your work ethic and and we all likely and I know certainly I did had, had the chores that we that we liked to do the chores that we thought were okay and the chores that we just did not like at all and then think about how you reacted when you were faced with these some was with enthusiasm and gusto and a bit of a can-do attitude or somewhere kind of something different. And it used to be that if we, if I had something to do that I just did not like, that the intent was to do as poor a job as I possibly could so that I wouldn't be asked again. And sometimes <laughs> the strategy didn't always work, by the way. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And then we, we did discuss um, finally in that particular section the, the use of setting expectations and clearly communicating values in, in the home and the, the influence that these will have inev inevitably have have had in, in, in your, as I say, your formative years and, and leading into adulthood as well. And I'll just give you an example from, from my life. When I was younger, as long as I can remember way, way, way back in the day, in, in my house growing up with my parents, uh, more so with my, with my dad, uh, to be honest, it was don't tell lies, just tell the truth and and that was instilled in us and I don't literally remember him saying that as a kid you know that it was indelibly inked inside inside my, my brain 
But it was just the way that we lived. You know, it was just the, you know, don't you dare, don't you dare tell a lie, you tell the truth. And, it, and through through the years, as, as my dad and I evolved from, you know, him being my superior, if you like, to then being my compadre, then being my best friend in, in, his, in, in his latter years of his life, you know, we, we embellished that a wee bit and, and then kind of said, like, always tell the truth. It's easier to remember. Nothing bad will come from telling the truth. And that's something certainly I've instilled. I've tried to, to do my best to instill in Leo as well. I just don't have any time for lies at all. And then we talked about lo location, where you grew up, uh, where you grew up, sorry, the, the country, the area, the city, the town, the street uh, within the city or town, the, you know, where you lived you know, then where you live now and where you spend your time, you know, out with the home as well is going to contribute to influencing um, your, your work ethic as well. Then community, like who is in your circle? Who needs to be in your circle? And who do you choose to be in your circle is essentially what I was, get, what I was getting at there in the blog. And at various points of the year, various experts, you know, and maybe say experts in inverted commas, recommend conducting an audit of your inner circle, those who are closest to you, to make sure that they are energy givers, they're not energy takers, they're energy sappers, and that the relationship is mutually healthy. And if it isn't, then you have some data to be able to make a decision. You know, you, you are who you spend your time with. So, so I'd encourage you to think carefully about that as well. And then personal experiences have, have a play in there as well. Everything that's happened basically to you to get you to this point, this very moment as you're listening to and absorbing these words will have an effect on who you are, how you approach life, you know, and appropriate to the topic, how you approach your, your work. And this doesn't mean that a bad experience automatically translates into a bad work ethic and, and as I discussed in the blog it's about using all of the data from all of your experiences discarding that which doesn't serve you and then using what does serve you for the good of you and your community as well and then we moved on to discussing the role of education in shaping uh, work ethic and you know back in the day in, in, in my school years and back in Scotland my dad used to always say, the best days of your life, son, the best days of your life. And, and at the time I was like, no, no, like I don't want to get up early. I don't want to have to walk in the rain a hundred miles uphill both ways, which is the story that I tell Leo, you know, to do that. I just, I didn't believe it. And, and, and latterly, I see why he was saying that, you know, in terms of responsibility, in terms of what my job was, was just to go and get as educated as possible and not to be... Uh, not to be a disruptive influence in the classroom. I managed that most of the time and and then just, you know, basically set myself up for success in the work, in the work environment. And this section was really where we started to explore key facets of things that, that wouldn't be out of place on curriculum, such as the art of learning, you know, learning how to learn in and of itself. And there are many different types and styles of learning, of course, which ultimately involve a level of work for for the learner, you know, dig in, apply yourself, ask good questions, put in your best effort and you'll be, a, you know, rewarded accordingly, or, you know, hopefully or, or something like that. And if you don't do any of those things, then you won't um, be rewarded as to, to the level that you're hoping. And that's, 
that's quite the influence in, in and of itself. As I mentioned, you know, learning how to learn, how to learn when, what your preferred style is, deadlines, the quality of the submissions, what you're learning, are you actually memorizing and regurgitating, which is kind of standard practice, or are there key skills that you're actually learning and developing through your ongoing learning? All of this is most certainly, absolutely contributory to your work ethic and how you approach your work and your level of fulfillment and enjoyment through the journey and and most likely your outcomes. Not every outcome is going to work out exactly as you hoped, but there's a better chance if you have a more consistent and stringent work ethic attached to that. Then we then touched on, on role models next and, and discussed who they are, where they come from and the impacts that they will have on our lives with the acknowledgement that throughout our lives that we are going to be influenced and inspired by different types and styles of people and they can come from any facet of your life. And here's the thing that I didn't say in the blog. They don't have to be a role model for you in every way, shape or form, like their entire being. There could just be a certain trait or a certain demeanour, you know, for example, their work ethic, of course, uh, and the theme of the, of the blog, that you admire, that you aspire, aspire to. And while acknowledging their flaws, and I'll say flaws like in your opinion, their flaws in, in other areas, you don't have to be fooled into thinking that a role model has to be the full and complete package is basically what I'm saying there. And, and as I'd mentioned, you have the ability to identify and learn from your role models through ongoing observation and any mentorship that they are willing or do provide to you. There isn't an exact science to this, I don't think. And, and be prepared that at some point you'll highlight someone as being a role model potentially after they've left your life. And so then I say that just to, to kind of highlight that if you're not careful or you're not paying attention in the moment, it, it won't be until they're no longer readily accessible and that you'll start to realise and appreciate the profound effect that they had on you, you know, and it could be positive or negative, but we'll, we'll go for the positive at all times on this pod. So I encourage you to try and not let this happen if you can. And, you know, like a, a, bit, a bit of a, a challenge of sorts that I laid out in the blog was, you, was for you to consider role models that you've had in, in your life and then to, to kind of go deeper on that and and consider why you would consider them role models in, in the first place. And we, around, we then rounded on whether work ethic can indeed be taught. And my conclusion in the blog was yes, it, it can. And the rationale for that it was being intentional in areas of support and encouragement, basically creating an environment that's conducive for positive work ethic. And, and if you know that work ethic is valued, it's important and a key element to the success of your environment, then that's a head start as you as you move in, um, you know, to, to your life, as uh, you know, so to speak. And, and traits such as um, organisations who foster growth, who celebrate achievement and effort, who you know have an environment of providing positive feedback, who look upon every circumstance, good and not so good, as opportunities for growth, celebrating effort, perseverance, and and of course, um, lauding uh, a strong work ethic is is key to try and you know attract yourself to organisations that have those traits. So how do we do that? It isn't by fluke, and it's and it's most certainly intention and intentional and can be born of strategies embedded within the fabric of the organization you know so such as 
creating time for self-reflection, reframing any form of, of negativity, being constantly curious regularly, constantly I should say actually again, seeking feedback and celebrating a positive mindset. That's the type and style of organisation I want to be part of or associated with or working for or with. I went and then went on to discuss adoption of these in the workplace and, and kind of repeated some of them in more businessy speak in the blog and then focused on others such as defining what we what work ethic means to that organisation, recognising and, and rewarding positive work ethic, the role of leadership in promoting a strong work ethic and leading by example, incorporation of professional development supports for continuous improvement and the importance of a positive and motivating workplace as well. And then went on to explore the impact of motivation discussing both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and the key role that each play in providing focus, energy, determination and consistency when working towards goal achievement. And we did touch on goal setting a little bit in there to, to help with the motivation as well. And one area that was really key for me was was discipline and the art and science of self-control, of consistency, uh, working hard to regularly prioritise your own time, the tasks you're working on, the energy and, and your efforts accordingly. And this this might be a pod on its own, quite honestly, at, at some point in, in the future, the, the topic of, of discipline. And we also had a wee bit um, of, of my old career in there with some reference to, to time management techniques such as prioritising tasks, creating schedules and utilising any productivity tools that you might have access to as as well. And uh, just a wee bit of an anecdote, I guess, at this point, it wasn't it wasn't included in the blog. But uh, recently I was, I was doing some reading on on or studying, I should say, on procrastination. And one expert had, had said, there's no such thing as procrastination. You just didn't schedule the work and then you just didn't follow through on it. So procrastination in and of itself it was a thing that was kind of debunked by this particular person that I was listening to by the fact that if you schedule it and then you follow through on it, procrastination just does not become a thing. So the art is in the scheduling. And then laterally, of course, the following through as well. Anyway, back to the blog. We finished off by talking through the need to have focus and drive to be resilient if and, and when things didn't go our way. And if you're sure of what you're doing and the direction you're going in, truly, truly persevering towards your intended goals. And this is so key. And, and in my opinion, separates the average to the good, the good to the great, and the, the great to the exceptional people and organisations that, that you would likely encounter in your life. And this led to the, the absolute requirement to be cognisant of and prepared to face the inevitable drains on our concentration with the plethora of distractions that surround us daily. We don't need to look very hard for distractions in our life at all. And and it's, it's how to kind of recognise and, and um, address and combat those as we go forward is, is the science of, of making progress. And then the blog concluded by stating that work ethic is is definitely, most definitely, not a one-size-fits-all. And what works for some person might not necessarily work for, for another person and might not be the right approach for you. So that means that you don't have to live a life of constant comparison and constantly wondering what, whether you're, what you're doing is right or wrong. 
you know, you can you can try something. You can course correct where you feel the need and, and surround yourself with people who do it better than you and you'll be in great shape going forward. And I finished it for the first time and I'm going to do this on each blog as we go forward with what I'm calling the GAS Challenge uh, to help you gain further insight into your work ethic by basically challenging you to look closer at areas of your life where you think your work ethic is, is positive, it's, it's good, it serves you, it serves your community versus areas that's maybe not so good, areas that you would like to improve and then just challenge you to, to really sit down and think and please do this folks, why do you think that is and then here's the key, write it down and see what pops out the page at you, whether it's an electronic page or a physical page and then you have you have data, you have information to, to, to figure out what you want to do going forward. Now, on to the book report. This is going to be a wee bit of a of a of a longer one uh, this this time. What I think I'll do here is I'll just I'll go through the list fairly quickly um, of of what what I encountered within How to Win Friends and Influence People. And this, as I mentioned earlier here, this is back from 1936. And and when you get to you know social science, human behaviour, leadership type books, you'll you'll see a lot of quotes from way back in the, in the early 20th century and and beyond that or back than that, I should say, because, you know, people are people and there are certain ways to do things and there are certain ways not to do things uh, to get yourself ahead as well. So I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. It's a classic. It was on my list of things to read for some time and and it's broken into four parts. Um, and the first part is fundamental techniques and handling people. The second part is six ways to make people like you. Part three, how to win people to your way of thinking. And part four, be a leader, how to change people without giving offence or arousing resentment. And in the in part one of, of the fundamental techniques in handling people, that there are three principles in there. And the first one is don't criticise, condemn or complain. If you want to gather honey, don't kick over the, the, the beehive. And there's a lot of information in and within that. But the key theme of this is, Criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. And there was a quote included within a book from Abraham Lincoln saying, don't criticise them, they are just what we would be under similar circumstances. I love that. Principle two, give honest and sincere appreciation, which is the big secret of dealing with people. One of the most neglected virtues of our daily existence is appreciation food for thought there. Principle three, arouse in the pers- in the other person an eager want. He who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks a lonely way. And there's a quote in there from Henry Ford, if there is any one secret of success, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see, thing from- see things from that person's angle as well as from your own. Yeah, I really like that stuff as well. Part two, six ways to make people like you. Principle one, there are six principles here. uh, Principle one, become genuinely interested in other people. Do this and you'll be welcome anywhere. And there was a quote there from Alfred Adler, who's a psychologist. It is the individual who is not interested in his fellow men who has the greatest difficulties in life and provides the greatest injury to others. Principle two, smile. A simple way to make a good first impression. You must have a good time meeting people if you expect them to have a good time meeting you. Isn't that the truth? I love that. Principle three, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. 
and if you don't do this, you're headed for trouble, Dale Carnegie says. The average person is more interested in his or her own name than in all other names on earth put together. And that's true. If you, if I do any shout-outs on any of the podcasts that I do, you know, people get excited by that. I get excited by that if people shout out my name as well, whether it's um, in public or private. So, yeah, food for thought on that one. Uh, principle four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. And that's an easy way to become a good conversationalist. And, and one of the key parts of this was to be interesting is to be interested. You know, be interested first and you become interesting to other people. Principle five, talk in terms of the other person's interests. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like a little bit of a play on, on the good listener part. But, you know, it's how to interest people, basically, by being more interested in them and talking about them than talking about yourself. Principle six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. And this is one of the... The all-important laws of human conduct always make the other person feel important, and that's typically by talking about them. Then we go to part three, which is how to win people to your way of thinking. Twelve principles here. And principle one is the, the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. You cannot win an argument. And there was a quote from Ben Franklin. If you argue, uh, argue, if you argue and rankle and contradict, you may achieve a victory of something but it will be an empty victory because you'll never get your opponent's goodwill so the impacts and influences from an argument principle two show respect for the other person's opinions never say you're wrong which is a surefire way of making enemies enemies um, and it's difficult un under even the most benign conditions to change people's minds so thinking about that in, in terms of trying to prove a position or trying to convince someone of something, very, very difficult to change someone's mind. Principle three, if you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. And 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 if, um, yeah, I, I mean, if you're wrong, just basically admit it. There are certain degrees of satisfaction in having the courage to admit one's errors. It not only clears the air of guilt and defensiveness, but often helps solve problems created by the error in and of itself. Principle four, begin in a friendly way. Gentleness and friendliness were always stronger than fury and force. Ah, yeah, I really like that too. Principle five, get the other person saying yes, yes immediately. And this is the secret of Socrates in this particular in this particular section. And talking with people, don't begin by discussing the things on which you differ. Begin by emphasising the things on which you agree. Principle six, let the other person do a great deal of the talking, which is the safety valve in handling complaints. Listen patiently and with an open mind. Be sincere about your listening and encourage them to express their ideas fully. Principle seven, let the other person feel that the idea is his or hers. And this is the art of how to get cooperation. And don't you have much more faith in ideas that you discover than in ideas that are handed to you on a silver platter. If so, isn't it bad judgment to try to ram your opinions down the throats of other people is the question that Dale Carnegie poses. Principle eight, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. And it's a formula that will work wonders for you. And there is a reason why the other man thinks and acts as he does. Try honestly to put yourself in his place. See things from his angle. Principle nine, be sympathetic with the other person's ideas and desires. Um, and 
and there was a quote here saying, I don't blame you one iota for feeling as you do. If I were you, I would undoubtedly feel just as you do as well. You know, just basically being more expansive in your thinking there. Principle 10, appeal to the nobler motives, an appeal that everybody likes. Principle 11, uh, dramatise your ideas. The movies do it, TV does it, why don't you do it? And that kind of starts to lend itself into storytelling and such. Principle 12, throw down a challenge, you know, and then it's, it suggests when nothing else work, try this. The one major factor that motivated people was the work itself. If the work is exciting and interesting, the, 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 the worker will look forward to doing it and was motivated to do a good job. So trying to find the good in the work that's happening is the key there. And then on to the fourth and final section, which is be a leader, how to change people without giving offence or arousing resentment. There are nine principles here. And principle one, begin with praise and honest appreciation. If you must find fault, this is the way to begin. And then he goes on to, to, to basically just really emphasise the praise and the and the honest appreciation. And it's, you know, a little bit possibly of a manipulation technique there, but, you know, he goes on to explain why. Principle two, call attention to the people's mistakes indirectly. And, and the, the key of this is how to criticise and not be hated for it. And and what he says is, is this could be easily, uh, a challenge in circumstances could be easily overcome by changing the word but to and, you know, and this is something that's that even even the most um, forward thinking thought leaders today say is, is one of the most basic things, you know, if you're if you're giving some feedback and then you say, you know, you did this very well, but this is what you didn't do well. That but is such a juncture in the conversation, isn't it? So you say you did this really well and there were some areas that I think we could actually improve on. How different does that feel? How different does that sound even, you know? Principle number three, talk about your own mistakes before criticising the other person's mistakes as well. You know, it provides a bit of a human element and it provides a little bit more camaraderie as well. Principle four, ask questions instead of giving direct orders. No one likes to take orders and asking questions not only makes an order more palatable, it often stimulates the creativity of the persons whom you ask. And you can tell by some of the language here, I'm reading some of this directly as quotes from the book as well, because that's not typically the type and style of language that I would use. Principle number five, let the other person save face. Even if we are right and the other person is absolutely definitely wrong, we only destroy ego by causing someone to lose face. And that's when our ego comes into it as well as their ego as well. Principle number six is praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement. And then be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. And this is how to spur people on to success. And he asks, why don't we use praise instead of condemnation? Let us praise even the slightest improvement. That inspires the other person to keep on improving. Think about how you receive praise. Think about how you receive criticism as well. What's the more inspiring of the two? I'll leave it to you to decide. Principle number seven is give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. And he says this is like give a dog a good name and it's it's basically boosting someone's ego you know you know giving them the, the the ability or the belief that they can do something i believe you can do this of course you can reach the next level of course you can do this principle number eight use encouragement make any faults that are present seem easy to correct 
telling anyone they're stupid or dumb at a certain thing that they have no gift for it and are doing it all wrong and you have destroyed almost every incentive for them to try to improve as well. Encouragement is absolutely key. And the ninth and, and final principle here is the make the other person happy about doing the thing that you are suggesting. Make them glad to do what you want them to do. When you make your request, put it in a form that will convey to the other person the idea that, that he will personally benefit from that as as well. So I know that was a very quick go through of the four parts of how to win friends and influence people. If you haven't read it, folks, I would absolutely encourage you to read it. There's a lot of storytelling in there. He writes it very well. It's, it's structured very differently than, than any business books that, that you would read today. There's there's lots and lots of text and not a lot of spacers or, or new headings or new sections and things like that. But the stories they tell, as I mentioned earlier, that's how we live our life today and and some of these things are absolute gold dust there wasn't any part or principle of the you know what's that probably a couple of dozen principles overall in the book that I thought that is completely dated that does not work that is is has no right to be in, in a business book today none of that there, there was there was merit to every single point there some of it very very basic some of it you know a little bit more advanced and and um and uh, developmental as well and 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 like everything from a social science perspective open to interpretation you know i interpret it one way you might interpret it another but yeah i hope i hope that was okay and that, that you you did like that a bit of an overview of how to win friends and influence people i'm delighted i got the chance to read it and i have a lot more information um, to share with others as a result of that okay okay i hope this episode of the best you a coaching podcast was a valuable use of your time and that you'll join me for more as we as we move forward together if you did find it valuable i would i'd really appreciate it if you would share it with others as we continue to build our community of like-minded folks from literally around the globe to help each other continue to work towards being the absolute best that they can be a wee bit of a longer one this time i do try and stick to the 30 minutes or so but we had a lot of content to cover uh, don't forget to take a peek at garygillen.com for more content and information including the prior blog and, the, and the, the pods as well and until next time my friends please do take care of yourself and all the very very best to you on your journey I'll talk to you very soon cheerio for now